0: broadcasting before and probably after the rapture it's the drew marshall show
1: We're back. Thanks for tuning in. You are listening to the Drew Marshall Show. Father Brendan McManus is a Jesuit priest. is the author of Redemption Road, Grieving on the Camino. He decided to walk the Camino de Santiago, the famous Spanish pilgrimage route, while struggling to come to terms with his brother's suicide. On the way, Brendan McManus undergoes a profoundly transformative journey of rebirth and renewal that moves through grief and anger to hope, gratitude, and acceptance. And he describes with honesty, humor, and great humanity both the hardships and the moments of joy and beauty experienced along this long, hard road to recovery. This is a book for all of us who wish to think more deeply about the meaning of loss and death and discover how such devastating experiences enrich and shape our own journeys through life. The website you want to go to is redemptionroadcamino.com. redemptionroadcamino.com. And all the way from Ireland... He joins us on the phone right now, Father Brendan McManus. I'm gonna to have to apologize at the start of this, Father Brendan, because whenever I speak to someone from Ireland, all of a sudden I get a little tinge in my in my sentences. I end up going up at the end of the sentences, and things start to sound a little lilty. Do you know what I mean?
0: Sure. I know the feeling it happens to me all the
1: time. <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. Where are you at this very moment, sir? Yeah, I'm actually sitting in uh, in Dublin in, in, uh, on the street, and I'm, I'm actually very close
0: to where the U2 concert is happening tonight, so the police have blocked off loads of streets. Uh-oh. So uh, I'm just watching all this happen.
1: Great, and so now you're some guy talking on his cell phone outside of one of the biggest concerts in an area that, you know, we've all heard about some crazy... They're going to think you're a terrorist, is what I'm saying.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. They're beginning to look at me a bit suspiciously if you you hear somebody uh, knocking on the window here, you know, uh, I'm in trouble. (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) That's right. Well, listen, Father Brendan, obviously, I want to start off by expressing condolences. Suicide rips off everyone. But when it's a family member, when it's a brother, especially, good night. What a shocking thing to have to process. So I'm so, so sorry for your loss. How long ago did this happen? Well,
0: this is actually about uh, about 10 years ago now that uh, the event actually happened. So it's been it's been some time, obviously, between now and then. It's been a long road, you know, the the whole process of grief and coming to terms with that. And, and I think I've I've done a lot of things along the way, like I've had counselling, and I've, I was in a suicide support group here in Dublin at one stage. But it was the it was the Camino that really did it for me, though. You know, more than anything else, it was that it was that month, five weeks that I spent on the road, walking the Camino on my own. You know, with this this. Uh, Intention of bringing, uh, I brought my brother's T-shirt to the altar at, at Santiago as a symbol of what I was doing. It was a, an intentional journey of grief and asking for asking for healing, asking for some kind of you know resolution to this awful thing that happened. Just like you said, it, it has awful consequences for a family and for all
1: those people directly connected to it. Mm-hmm. Can you just help the rest of us get an idea of who your brother was, please?
0: Sure, he was a a really smart guy. He had a PhD in uh, in engineering. He never never let on. I mean, he had had some uh, mental issues, all right, so he wasn't able to work full-time, and he was working on building sites, but he was the smartest guy going. He was really smart, really funny, intelligent, brilliant. You know, with people, he was extremely caring and, and looked after lots of people, especially people who were a bit down and out. And needed care he owned a block of apartments and he had people in it that were you know that wouldn't be able to get in anywhere else and were going through tough times themselves so he's just an extraordinary big-hearted guy probably probably a bit too generous for his own good he, he wasn't uh,
1: keen on looking after himself so how did you find out that he had taken his life
0: well I was actually on holidays in Spain, believe it or not and uh, I had turned off my phone. And I was just relaxing by a pool. I remember, I'll never forget it. And uh, suddenly another, a friend I was with, you know, said, you've got, you've got to hear this, you've got to take this news on this on uh, my call. And there was another Spanish Jesuit that I know who called to say, look, your brother has died back at home on the farm in Ireland. And uh, my whole world just turned to ice at that moment. And, and my heart just, you know, just seized up. It was, it was an awful moment. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget it. I'm, I'm trying to get back home. We couldn't get home for two days, and I was trying to get a flight. And you know that we couldn't get couldn't get home. I had to go home on a scheduled flight. On the flight home, we were planning the funeral. I was with another Jesuit priest, so we actually planned the funeral. We're sitting across the aisle from each other, and we're we're going through all the different steps and the readings for the mass and who's going to do what and all that sort of stuff. So it was not a it was not a pleasant journey, and then arriving home to this atmosphere of shock, mm-hmm. and horror. I think is is the word I would use. You know, suicide has this impact on a family that leaves people asking what happened and why did it happen and looking for answers. The other big thing, people want to get an answer to something that there is no real answer for, really. Mm-hmm. But nobody knows exactly why my brother took his life but my way back 10 years ago.
1: I've asked this question of a number of people who have walked the Camino, as I did, of course, last year, and the question comes right. down to... You know, not everybody gets to just pack up and go walk the Camino or go away for 40 days or or whatever it is. The rest of the world has to get back to work. The rest of the world has bills to pay. They've got to provide. Can't take that time off. And yet they still have tragedy happen in their lives. They still have issues that they've got to process and, and work through. So I counted it as quite an awesome blessing to be able to get away for, in my case, three months in this vow of silence and two months on the Camino and and here you, you've you been able to do the same thing. You know, what counsel would you give to somebody other than go walk the Camino? Because not everybody can do right.
0: that. Yeah, no, and I, I, I take that point exactly. And, you know, I, I think the key thing is you have to figure out exactly what it is that you need to do to get through that the grief process that is sitting in front of you, or whatever process it is. Because for me, it was like an insight that I got that this is the thing that I have to do. And it linked back to a, another... Uh, walk that I did as part of my Jesuit training. I had got this great insight way years before that, and I, and I knew this was a thing, but other people will find other ways of doing that. I, I have a little book that I wrote about uh, suicide bereavement, and I say to people, you have to find a symbol, like something that you check out. I, I brought my brother's t shirt, and you have to find like this challenge, something that you have to do, whatever it is, you know, walking, swimming, cycling, and you don't have to go away. You can do it in your own place, but something that you have to do, and it's linked to some kind of gesture that uh, has meaning for you. You know, you put the symbol and the gesture and the challenge together, and all of a sudden you have something, you know, a really powerful process going on there, and you have to figure out what that is and how you're going to do it. It doesn't have to cost the earth. You don't have to go away. You just have to find what that is.
1: Hmm. Um, do you think, I just I want to ask about the end of the Camino, the Camino de Santiago, the cathedral. Being the focal point of this pilgrimage, but I, I found Father Brendan that getting to the coast had more of an impact on me than getting to the cathedral. How about you? Yeah, no, that's
0: exactly that's exactly what happened to me. You know, I got to the cathedral and I was up on the altar because I was a priest. I was and I was wearing my brother's t-shirt underneath the vestments. You know. And I was very emotional, I went through the mass and all, and then it was all over. And then I said to myself, is that it? You know, it's such an anticlimax, really. Yeah. Then I went to the coast the next day. I went out to Finisterre, which means the end of the world. And I was walking out there, and I saw some hikers that were burning their stuff. You know, they burn all their T-shirts and boots and socks and everything. And I suddenly got the insight there that this is what I have to do. I have to burn this T-shirt that I've carried all the way here. Wow. It's not coming back with me. And it was so clear, it just it just really, you know, put itself in front of my mind. So the next morning I got up first thing, fasting, I walked out to the, the same place out to the peninsula at the end where the lighthouse is. I burnt my brother's t shirt, you know, just with a lighter and I mean I, I was beside myself. You can hear the emotion in my voice rising because that was that was the moment where it all just it all just melted away and literally I just melted into the ground. I was on I was on the ground beside myself you know just crying that the, the grief that had been there but the burden was lifted you know i don't know how long i was there but when i came to and when i came around i felt like a different person the sun was out i went for a swim in the sea and i was just like i was reborn hmm. something was something huge had been lifted off my shoulders i came home a different person and it's been my way ever since it was a couple of years ago you know so yeah, that, that that moment at the end of the Camino, you know, it's unexpected. Really, that's the other the other key thing. It's, it's not the way you plan it, uh, the way you think it's going to work out. Hmm. It's being open to the way that God's going to touch you here, you know, just whatever moment that He, he chooses wherever He
1: comes upon. Do you think that was more of an emotional and mental release of your soul happen because of God or a spiritual? reality, a spiritual awakening, a spiritual renewal, or was it simply because you were at the end of the Camino, you were exhausted, it was a culminating act of burning your brother's t-shirt? I guess I'm just trying to figure out what was God and what wasn't God, because I struggle to even believe in a God.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, sure, I mean, obviously as a Jesuit priest, like that's the framework that I'm coming to this with, you know, but but I still think, I think the two things are so tightly lined together there. There's the emotional, there's the spiritual, there's all the, the whole, I mean, you, you know, you're shot from walking the Camino, there's a huge release at the end. You are exhausted, you're kind of physically and mentally exhausted, but that's when you're most open, that's when that's when things start to happen, and that's when, that's when things really start to happen for me, and I certainly understood the whole Camino then from that moment, looking backwards, I understood the Camino is a process of like purification or getting people to let go of things, especially let go of control because hmm. we try to control everything. We try to control our emotions. We try to control, you know, what happens on the Camino, Control other people. Control things that you know we, we come upon. But eventually, I mean, and all that had happened to me before that, I had loads of different moments where I was asked to let go. You know, you you get into a hostel and it's filthy. You get you get offered a meal and it's not very good. You know, the beds are not good. Uh, you know, there's too many people in the hospital. That a guy kept me up snoring one night. All these horrible things are happening to you, and you're thinking, what, "What's this all about?" And after I understood, it's all about letting go. You know, getting you to let go of this uptightness and this need to be in control of everything. In order that God can work, in order that something else can come in there and, and, and shift things. So it's just about breaking through. Breaking through barriers, breaking through these kind of self-imposed restrictions or these little worlds that we live in in order to open us up to a new world.
1: That would be my take on it. Yeah, yeah. On the line with Father Brendan McManus. By the way, one of my favorite all-time red wines is McManus, but it's spelled differently. Just thought I'd throw that in there right now. <laughs> okay, sure. Author of Redemption Road, Grieving on the Camino. I, I have heard it said that the Camino finds you, and so there's really no point in trying to sell people on doing the Camino. Your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, and there's another phrase that I like is that you don't walk the Camino. The Camino walks you. Yeah. Which is just a bit of an extension of that. But but really, it's, it's, remember I said about the, the desire to walk the Camino came out of this process that I was living. I just, I just knew this was the thing. You know, it was time for me to do it. And I knew that doing it before that wouldn't have made any difference. It just was a rightness about it. And there was a bit of work that I had to do in terms of clarifying my motives for doing it, like my desire to do it would be a treasure way of saying that, how to get my desires to get them pure or to purify them of any kind of false motives, you know, that I was doing it just for sport or doing it for, you know, for entertainment or to get away from something. Mm -hmm. But it was just, I knew, I knew this is the right thing to do. It just fitted in exactly with where I was, where I was in the grief process and I you knew there's gonna be something's gonna happen for me, there's gonna be something special is gonna happen on this and the Camino is an amazing place, and amazing things happen, but only if you're in the right place. Exactly only if your motives are right, you know. So, because if you if you hit that and you're doing it just for exercise, a lot of people do it just to walk the Camino, say they've done that and all and that's great, that's fine, but that is not what the Camino is about and that is not going to gives you the real thing, which is about touching your soul and about transformation and putting you into a whole new realm yeah. in your life.
1: Yeah. When I got to the cathedral, I mean, I, I I already knew I was heading to the coast, and I had a feeling the coast was going to be more of a wake-up call or more of a an emotionally cathartic experience. When I got to the cathedral and sat in the service, the pilgrim's service, and, and I kind of was left wanting. And then I went downstairs. There's these stairs that go underneath the uh, the pulpit area, the front of the church where all the the cool stuff happens. But underneath there's this like little cave and it's where they have this silver box tucked way back and there's a glass there and in that box is supposed to be remnants of of St. James. James. And I was sitting there looking at this box and I don't know, I just wasn't getting it. I didn't really you know, I wasn't really that wound up. And all of a sudden, the lady but standing beside me, just... I could hear her trying to hold back tears. And I just put my arm on her shoulder, and that was it. She was done, and the emotions came out. And I wasn't speaking, and so I had to kind of figure out a way to communicate with this lady. And she just unloaded on me. And her, her 13-year-old daughter had just died. Yeah. That moment... With the two of us in this cavern y, sort of area, looking at the bones of St. James meant nothing. The service meant nothing. The incense meant nothing. That thin place, as, as the Celts used to, and you would know about this being Irish, would talk about, you know, the gap between the Creator and the created, us two in that moment, me not speaking and her weeping, that, that made the biggest impact on me. And I want to ask you, Father Brendan, along the way, tell me about a thin place. Other than the very end, at Finisterre, when you burned your brother's shirt and it was the culmination of the walk, were there other Josh. moments that were thin places for you, Father Brendan?
0: Absolutely, no, that, that's that is exactly what the Camino was about. You have all these moments. I mean, I think the whole Camino was a thin place, by the way. True. It's this, it's this particular place, and people are there very specific reasons just like that woman you met and they're there for you know with their hearts are full of grief or full of pain or whatever it is and they just 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 like a, they're looking for a touchstone then for something to happen around that so so i met i met lots of people that were on that for similar reasons but there was one woman that uh, really stands out for me i was in a it was early on i was in a hostel and because i, I speak spanish i i, I, I studied in, in colombia and I was talking to the people that ran the hostel the volunteers and we're starting out and she was she was a woman that she'd suffered from really severe depression and she was just asking the others about help you know and she reminded me of my brother so much just it was exactly the same dynamic going on and she'd same suffering and she'd been through the same thing and then she saw me and then she said she says you can help me you know I'm like I was just transfixed, you know, I don't know how she knew that I knew this and, and the fact that I had been through that very thing. And, and it made it, my heart sank, obviously, because this was, it was like dread, because I was thinking, I cannot be living the same thing again. Huh. But it was, I think she was, she was trying to communicate something similar to me, though that we're on the Camino, anything can happen here, and people are, they're being themselves, are being completely 100% real and honest for a change. Huh and everything's gonna come out. So I was when I spoke to her briefly and I was giving her giving her some advice that I you know, i picked up from my brother as well, but just really it really struck me very hard. This is this is a special place. This is the sort of thing that's gonna happen to you and and it happened a number of other times as well. Different people I met along the way. You always meet people on the Camino and people are always very upfront and very direct and they give you the real story. Yeah. The real story of their lives and what they're struggling with.
1: Yeah. Well, look, I'm just looking at the clock, and it's so easy to chat with you, uh, and I, I just appreciate your time, Father Brendan McManus, Jesuit priest and author of Redemption Road: Grieving on the Camino. Uh, this is a book for all of us who wish to think more deeply about the meaning of loss and death, and discover how such devastating experiences enrich and shape our own journeys through life. The website is redemptionroadcamino.com. Redemption Road. Camino.com. Father Brendan, thank you. I, I actually look forward to you writing more, and I'm not sure if there's another book coming out of you or not, but it would be uh, worth oh, the great. read. There is,
0: I'm working on one at the moment. I, I was on the Camino uh, two years ago, and I broke my uh, kneecap after two days, so there's a whole story coming up with
1: that back. Gee whiz, yeah. I guess you've had a, you, you'd have a bit of time to write on the Camino after breaking a kneecap, that's for sure. Uh, listen, en- enjoy your. W- you're off on another walk tomorrow, are you not?
0: That's right, I'm bringing a group of young people to Glendalough, which is one of those huge, big, uh, Celtic Christian sites You know, goes back to the 5th century so we're, doing a- we're doing a pilgrimage over six days and We're, we're going to walk there stay in hostels, walk back to Dublin again, so I'm-, I'm just getting my gear together this evening, you can be thinking of me
1: Brilliant, I'd love to get over there and walk with you I spent a great deal of time with a very large Irishman uh, while I was walking on the Camino. As a matter of fact, he was sleeping in the bunk underneath me the very first night. And in the morning, I went to get my hiking boots up in the Pyrenees Mountains on the rack, and my boots were gone. This big guy who was sleeping underneath me apparently thought my boots were his, and he took off. And I had to run down the road, and again, through a phone, through typing on a phone, Are those my boots? Anyway, we became good yeah. friends after that. So thank you for your time, sir. Good to chat with you. Thank you so much, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.